That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome. I'm Andrew Dice. I'm Stephen Colbert. And I'm Richard Citrone. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast rewatching Batman v Superman by the Minute. For this episode, we have now reached minute 67. We have crossed the hell minute. We are in the nightmare sequence. Bruce Wayne has ceased to be. Batman is all that remains. And Batman's base is about to have a convoy come visit. Convoy. More importantly, we have joining us for this minute, as we teed up in the previous minute, uh, Richard Citrone, stunt veteran. Obviously, we didn't bore him in the interview section, but he's played Iron Man, Vision. He's been a million different um, different creatures over the years, um, Cabin of the Woods and other other features. The Alpha Zombie Zeus and his extended army of that, yeah. But his uh, social media handles are stunt batman just in case you need yeah, to know, so we know. <laughs> what um which of those many many prestigious roles you know he's not stunt iron man he's stunt batman and as we noted this is weirdly enough we're over a minute or over an hour into the movie and this is one of our first extensive minutes of the batsuit the previous minute concluded with the truck arriving with this delivery batman has made eye contact with the driver of the vehicle a nod of recognition and this is where we begin and things really kick yeah. off. Literally. Nice. See what yep. I did there? Gonna, you're going to play that audio of, I, I imagine it's going to be. Did you get it? The rock? Yeah, we got it. Uh, we should get that out of the way right now because it's the only dialogue in the minute is this is Zack Snyder's. Vocal cameo. We've seen his hands already. Yeah, and we got to, we're slowly building ourselves as Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> the first of uh, two lines he has in this, right? Uh, what's the other one? Yeah, we got it. And I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not to spoil anything, but I also want to give a shout out because the actor portraying th- this character, who is, uh, I guess, a a driver for Batman, who is a trusted. On some level, right? Since this is a pretty precious cargo, he's a stunt man and stunt coordinator, Ilya Barda, uh, playing, I guess I'm just going to say it right now, Jason Todd, um, <laughs> considering the information that we now have about this trusting working relationship. I think it's uncredited. The minute plays out, I want to call out one of the, the first things that I love about this is we, we had talked before about the reverse shot of um, this soldier's feet underneath the truck and we swap that out this time for batman's boots again it, it seems stupid to kind of call these things out but i realized that i never have before this i think watching this a minute at a time was the first time i realized like oh it's his coat that's like a cape now like yeah. the cape is still there like we're still getting the impression i don't know what kind of coat would would ever drape to the ground i know some people like, it's like a duster trench coat yeah, but people like playfully suggest you know if this is jim gordon's trench coat oh i don't know <laughs> In, if in this fiction, Jim, Jim Gordon had to be seven and a half feet tall for, for this coat yeah. draping the ground on Ben Affleck to make sense. But it's, it's a really cool Western-ish, you know, we, we've talked about Mad Max and that's all there. I think yeah. it just really well, you almost want to hear the texture. You almost want to hear Spurs um, 
with his walking here. Um, and that's, and that's following out of a kind of leading into this minute. We have that over the shoulder. He's walking away from the camera as the pan- camera circles. And it's only a short shot, but it's one of those like iconic Zack Snyder shots, but not quite as long, but that you get in like the shot of the neighborhood in Dawn of the Dead or the shot from behind Baby Doll oh, in, yeah. um, in Sucker Punch or, um, uh, from behind Jor-El on Krypton. Um, it's just one of my favorite where he frames the hero from behind. And like Zach, um, says in his commentary, there's a lot of shots in this movie of people walking away from the camera, particularly Bruce. Mm-hmm. It's really effective at putting you firmly with the hero. Yes. I think it adds to it that in this case, we don't know what is going on and we don't know what is happening. So we're almost as guarded as Bruce is as the rest of this minute plays out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we get uh, specifically, I don't have anything remarkable to say about, did you get it? Yeah, we got it. We don't know what it is. But the the moment from this that, that always sticks out for me, and it's one of the images in my mind of of Ben Affleck as Batman, the silhouette of him as he climbs up into the back of that truck. Yeah. It's very weird because it is not a typical Batman silhouette because of this dang coat. But just the the impression that it gives, it's one of the only moments in this movie where we're on the record, you know, I love this Ben Affleck Batman and I love this comic accurate gritty, you know, future take, whatever. But as a silhouette against the light going into this truck, there's like a, a, a singular moment of Batman as a force. Look at the way he hauls himself up into it, yet he's yet he's still so firm in his uh um and like in his build that like there's a sense of power that like he he's he's not a he's not a light dude. He doesn't spring up into the truck. Yet no. the act of climbing into it is not tedious or exhausting for him. No, and he takes up so much room. Yeah, when he finally stands I, up, that I it think is, he could ugh. raise his. He, I think he could put his arms out and touch one arm on each side of the of the truck. I feel like, yeah, um, or like, or like um, in a comic, yeah. this is one of those things where, like, as he approached the, <laughs> if he was if he was approaching a villain in the back of the truck, he would like blot out the sun. Yeah, yeah, we don't get the reverse, right, of the of the bat shadow spreading over them. Yeah, well, it's like a Tim Sale. I'm reading uh, Long Halloween again, so I'm going <laughs> to go over my Tim Sale yeah. references. But how, like, you see his silhouette meet the shadow in the floor, and it just swallows him. Also, the silhouette looks like, um, reminds me of Damian Wayne, Batman, from, um, oh, yeah. from the... Is it? 666? Yeah. Then we have, uh, I guess the minute plays out now, famously or infamously... The container is open. The LexCorp box that is glowing green. Yeah. Placed near the rear of the truck to get Batman walking all the way in to look inside it. I will say real quick, as he approaches the um, the container, it's when you get the first shot of the fact that he doesn't, he's not just carrying a rifle, but he's got a sidearm and he's got that, um, he's got the, like the sheriff's like ready to draw sort of uh, like the, not the sheriff, like the gunslinger. Like he looks very, oh, yeah. he looks like gunslinger Batman here with his arms at his sides as uh, as he yeah. approaches, and you catch that the silhouette of the gun on his side. Yeah, this is uh, an all like uh, you know to build the tension interspersed with his guards, you know, surrounding this truck behind him. It, what looks to be like at least dozens of men. Yeah, but some of them are more hooded and disguised than others. <laughs> Batman is being drawn into this truck. He gazes in to see what we all assume to be kryptonite, even though the only time we've ever seen it is still Lex's, you know, explanations of it. Yeah. Well, and it's in that LexCorp box also, which we haven't, we have yet 
to see. So when you're questioning about whether or not this is a dream or like a vision, this is pretty accurate. Yeah, it's it's in literally in the same in the same box, which yeah, you know, I mean, it's probably not coming from inside Batman's head. What we're seeing here, wah wah, it's two green light bulbs uh, attached to a battery. So this was all a ploy to get him this deep into the truck, looking in, and again. Ili Barda, as Jason Todd, voiced by Zack Snyder, says, I'm sorry. Just to clarify, um, because people take us seriously, that is not Jason Todd. <laughs> Needs uh, to be Steven, said. Needs to be look, said. Look, your canon is your canon. <laughs> mine is mine. Show me, honestly, and honestly, this is kind of a Jason move. So I'm going to take that as uh, evidence for my theory. I mean, honestly, this is a non-character. I think it's an uncredited role, so this can be whoever I say it is. All right. But at that cue... The Superman emblazoned guards remove their disguises, pour out of trucks, surround Batman's men as guns are pulled on him in the truck. In what might be my favorite minute ending moment, we get like a a solid like two seconds of one Superman guard eyeing up these, uh, you know, captive soldiers. And then the exact frame that the minute ends is the first bullet fired as whatever plan has been hatched here finally goes off a plan that feels very, very similar when comparing it to Nairobi earlier. Yes. I, I yeah, I, I don't want to overlook the, in terms of the plot of the minute, this is, a, this is all set up and it's very moody, but it is filled with really interesting shots like i talked about batman entering the truck and then uh it it might be the first time i think you get a sense of how big ben affleck is in that suit yes because we've we've seen him you know hardly really in it all uh we've seen ben affleck in normal suits and he's a very big guy Mm -hmm. but this is a heavyweight fighter batman you know yeah who is coming strolling in here and the other moment that is burned into my memory is the sound of the gun cocking and the eyes flashing up out of the box. You know, like they're the same moments that I'm sure every fan has. Yeah. Well, and it's a particular note here because as we mentioned in the last minute, when the when the nightmare section starts, he has no eyes. Yeah. And now here, you've got this green... He finds them when he's been duped. A total <laughs> Bruce moment because he screwed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he opens his eyes and it, and it flashes and he's got the green reflection on his face. There, there's so much going on here. If that character doesn't say "I'm sorry" in the way that he says it to him, yes, then you might believe that Batman is radical, or extreme, or has gone too far and has lost it. But because that character tricked him, and then doesn't say, you know, like he's sad or anything, but just it's kind of a "I'm sorry." like this is happening now that it doesn't sacrifice any of Bruce Bruce's or Batman's like, um, I don't know, not integrity or anything, but kind of like the issue is he can still keep being himself mm-hmm. the way that we're seeing him, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, and, um, and it also implies a lot about like the larger storytelling of like, what's, what's even going on? Like we're talking about the events that are happening, but what, What's the? We still don't know the context of what's going on here, and this tells you that there's a sense of loyalty. He, you know, yeah. he's being betrayed. Why is he being betrayed? I mean, he's clearly this guy got sold him out. Maybe he lost hope in whatever their mission was, and he got a better deal. Um, he still wants to apologize. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, he's like, I had like, to. Like, I'm letting you I mean, down. It, it feels very much like I had no choice. Like, this is a losing fight, and it was the only chance I could get. And there's also other interesting stuff that helps contextualize it, like like the, the kryptonite comes in a an LexCorp box. So it's like Lex Luthor. Like, where's Lex Luthor in all of this? From uh, from the commentary, Snyder suggests that that uh, he's a part of Darkseid's plan in some way. I think maybe that he'll there'll, there'll be some stuff in like the next couple minutes from the commentary um, from his live commentary that maybe impacts us a little bit. But there's there's so many very subtle shots or or I shouldn't say lines because it's just a couple lines, right? That that has so much kind of implied story behind it, um, despite everything being like crazy and and making no sense, but also clearly has dripping with meaning or purpose. This is a very good example of how a minute can be presumably setting up the next one, but I'm still just totally captivated the entire time. Yeah, so before he gets out of the truck, he walks past another truck that's got a symbol on the door. Um, <laughs> Correct, yeah. I don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? It appears to be some, it appears to be two things to my eye. It looks to be a red circle with an X through it that is over top of some kind of swastika. Not, not, sorry, I should clarify, not that swastika. Well, it's reversed. Yeah, and, and it is not really a match. Like, it looks like the arms might be white as much as they are black. And, and it's cockeyed. I think um, we could dance around this a little bit, but I'll just, I think, maybe outright say we spent, like, two and a half hours <laughs> or two hours, two and a half hours before this episode started, basically scrolling through Google images amongst other things, trying to figure out what this is. And we're not the first people to try to figure out what this symbol is. I would prefer people picture us as like Indiana Jones when he's drawing on the chalkboard. Yeah. Very sophisticated research. So, and and, and I'll, I'll lead by saying we don't have the answer. Um, and we'll have to find out, I don't know, maybe Zach knows, or maybe we can ask, uh, like Patrick Tatopoulos might know, or some other set designer. But of the many things that we did trying to interpret this, we looked up different, um, swastika is, is such a kind of crazy symbol because everybody knows it as like the Nazi symbol. And so it's got all sorts of racist and, uh, fascist underpinnings, but it's also one of the most universal, like, I shouldn't say the swastika, I should say the the manji or there's a bunch of different versions of it that are flipped from the swastika and it goes back across all civilizations back as far as we can go everyone's got some sort of version of this four-legged or four-armed pinwheel whatever it should be and and none of them necessarily even all mean the same things and there's some that look a lot like this and some that look nothing like this the closest thing that i could come up with that had any kind of relevance or meaning is from like the Japanese version, which to be fair, I think the Japanese versions of the of the symbol are are the ones that look the closest to this. There's a few different versions. And if you go with that especially, you've got like a sort of a spiral looking swastika with like a red another swastika over it. Or I should stop saying swastika because that's not that's not what it would be in this case. It would be like the Buddhist more ancient symbol. And the only reason that that has any sort of maybe symbolism to me is because it's like a symbol for man or mankind, which if this is the if this is the kind of the last stand against the forces of apocalypse and Superman, 
it would make sense that varying versions of this symbol laid on top of each other would bear some significance to them because we're talking about different tribes of men from across the world and or it could be nothing i don't like we <laughs> we don't even aren't even necessarily convinced that that's what it is but the more we dug into it kind of the more the, the more it looked like different versions of the manji or the the i don't know whatever different there's tons of different words for it every culture if i can't define what it is then i will go a step back and say i can recognize it's there for a reason why would you put it there if you don't put it there this just reads as batman and his mad max survivors this ragtag group that is left alive Mm -hmm. i guess trying to kill superman i think if we're taking the kryptonite thing that is kind of the simplest if you put a symbol on the door of the vehicles they're driving it's in movement. Yes. You know, like it is a a, a group that is united around something well, like, for one mission. If you give a, a mob a flag, they become an organization. Yeah, exactly. And that's a, a kind of the fact that they're calling on a religious symbol or a symbol that is like ancient. Yeah. Um, and ubiquitous. It it's is. ancient and yes. ubiquitous and spiritual and human um, and um, and humanist. Like it's every it's everything and nothing. <laughs> Yeah, they've gathered around something, and Batman is leading it. It's like I guess one maybe if we were to strip it down to its very basic meaning, it is the the closest thing you could find to a uniting um, symbol across all mankind. Because it's, totally. every culture, Native American cultures have some version of it. Um, ancient Chinese cultures have a version of it. Like you can't go anywhere where there's not some type of of this four legged pinwheel shape. And they don't even mean the same thing for all those people, but they all have a version of it. Hey, my mind would be blown if, like, in the sequel to this movie, there was a scene where all of the peoples of the world gathered in one place where weird symbols were all of a sudden drawn. We'll put a pin in that, I guess. I kind of, honestly, if I'm if I'm being totally honest, I really, really hope that the Justice League movie reveals this is, like, the anti-life equation symbol right. and batman symbol is literally that with a big red x drawn over <laughs> just like, like a giant, you know no it's, gods it's allowed batman's f you to dark side it's like yeah. he drives well, around yeah, with it on his this. truck door like <laughs> it's like his yeah. dukes of hazard like <laughs> on his big, big post-apocalyptic truck exactly yeah <laughs> yeah until we have an alternative explanation yeah so i don't know that really sheds very little it's a lot of words to say it could be nothing. <laughs> Probably is nothing. Yeah. I mean, at this point, if we, we if we can discern no meaning from it, then all we have is that it's there. And what that says is like kind of cementing the impression you get from Batman leading these people. Yeah. That's really, I mean, I could, I could keep on scrolling Google images and trying to figure out what that symbol is, but um, I don't think anybody wants, I've already spent enough time doing that. And I think you're sick of it probably. So <laughs> Completely. <laughs> but yeah, we, we got the chance to speak with Richard Citrone about the movie. This minute was, was very much about setting the tone of the nightmare. And in hindsight, like we said, we didn't really realize this minute really cements who Ben Affleck's Batman is, what he looks like, what the suit is, how he moves yeah. in it, how he speaks in it. Well, I guess that, and that would be the one, the one other thing that, that we didn't talk to Richard about that's notable here on the, about the bat suit is that there are several pock marks on the bat symbol that appear to right. be, I presume like bullet 
marks, which would make sense because traditionally in the comics that the bat symbol is some form of armor or has armor under it. And the only reason that's really notable is because the the most clear shot we've gotten of it of it to this point is when he's staring down the suit before the party at Lex's, where it does not have those pock marks. And from all the images that I look up, I think they are there at the end of the movie. And so I don't know if that's an intentional costuming thing or just has to do with the point in time at which they shot this scene, and that's just the way the, the suit looked at that at that point. Um, but I did find that that interesting that the suit has a little more wear and tear, specifically bullet holes, and it seems to be bullet holes or bullet marks that he obtains through the course of this movie. His history or him trying to change the future, this is still too soon. Yes. With all of those questions in mind, I guess let's let's dive into all of these questions from the man himself, the man in the suit, the man behind. Well, you know what? Now I'm just going to have the mental image of Bruce Wayne staring at the bat suit in its case and Richard Citrone in the suit staring back <laughs> at Bruce Wayne. <laughs> well, Basically saying, you know. I mean, that's who it is, right? Like you have Ben Affleck is, is Bruce Wayne and then um, he becomes Richard Citrone. With that. Enjoy. Did you get it? The rock. Yeah, we got it. If I could talk to anybody, it would be the chance to speak with Batman. And if Bruce Wayne is the face that he shows the world, and Batman is the guy that emerges when he puts on the suit and cowl, by that logic, I mean that's you most of the time, right? Um, I, I'm 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 there quite a bit. Yeah, yeah I'm in it quite a bit. It is yes. a team effort, right? <laughs> yeah, it is a team effort for sure. <laughs> um, in fact, I got uh, contacted. They're doing, you know, Sideshow does these. Um, I don't know if you have ever seen their stuff. Sideshow collectibles. Oh, yeah. they, they, their stuff is amazing. I got mm-hmm. it all over my house, actually. And um, there was somebody that was doing a sculpt on the um, the uh, Batman in the um, in the armored suit, and they they couldn't get Ben's people to sign off on it for whatever reason. Uh, you know, I know he does that stuff. I don't know what happened. There must just something that happened. And uh, so they contacted me and they said, you know, we know you you were in that in that suit quite a bit. And so since since Ben can't do it, would you do you mind if we sculpt your face? For the, oh, cool. the armor suit, I'm like, ah, uh, no, I don't mind at all. That'd be <laughs> that'd be very cool. So yeah, so I have that one for sure. That that's pretty cool because I love stuff and to be like actually one of them, the figures is really cool. Yeah, well, and those are so authentic, also. Yeah. yeah, they are. They're they're um they're nice. I mean, I I'm like an act a little bit, so I have to like I have to pull myself back, like rein myself in when I see like a new one come out, you know, because it's <laughs> like they're, they're so cool. Yeah, they're really neat. Yeah, you're you're in very good company right now speaking to to immense nerds. <laughs> and I, I had that thought as well. I mean, by the structure of what this podcast is, the fact that I think we talk probably 15 to 20 minutes on average about each minute of the film, we will end up talking about your performance as Batman probably longer than anyone else <laughs> in history. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <that's... laughs> and that and that is like I think what I mean by that is like we get every little decision, obviously from through Zach's lens. All of the people that contribute into these single shots 
and single frames, uh, we end up inevitably talking about them because we're kind of going through a second at a time. And I had not realized, I don't know if you do, but we are at minute 67, 68. And this is our first really good look at Batman. Our first look yeah. at Batman in the Batsuit. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, and uh, most of our listeners, we've kind of talked about the stunts and and Zach's stunt work and um, and and Damon in with his team as well. But from a like from a broader level, I'm so curious to know what you can kind of tell us about the overall approach or maybe the beginning approach that that you had to the physicality of Batman, not just the fighting, but how this character walks you know how he moves how he stands because that stuff in a single image tells so much story on its own yeah um i um i wanted to i I thought i primarily thought of two things when i was when i was thinking about how how batman should move and and walk and handle himself and and i thought um i thought that he should he should be he should walk almost like royalty, like he's proud, you know, and he's confident in his abilities, no matter what situation he's in. He, he's, you know, he, he's not one to ever give up or cower from some something or somebody. And so I, I wanted to make sure he, he always conveyed that. And at the same time, I wanted to get a little bit of um, a little bit more of a forward lean into that character, like a, like a predator. I wanted mm-hmm. to add that. So those, so, so when when he needs when he needs to move fast he moves fast when he doesn't need to move fast he's he's confident and sure of himself so I just I, I try to put those two dynamics into the character and plus you know I'm the stunt man so I have to watch what Ben does as well you know so I have to make sure that if Ben's doing something I can't I can't do something that's completely different than what he's doing because you know when it comes right down to it. You know, it's it's his character, and and I'm there to support him and and do the best job to make him look good, and you know, it, it and everything I did, he really he really liked, and you know, he conveyed that to me, and and uh, he was real he was real happy with everything, so we were on the same page. That's cool. Is there a um like in the development for the character? Is there a give and take there where you, like you since you kind of are sharing a body in a way on. <laughs> on like what the uh what that physicality is or or does um does one of you kind of take the lead and the other one emulate well you know when it comes to the action he would he would um you know i would pretty you know he gave me leeway with that because even with action you know what the um relationship between the actor and the stuntman is it's the actor's character and we're there to support them. So some people may, some actors may say, Hey, I want him to kind of do this with the action and do that, you know, and then you try to accommodate them. But, but Ben looked at it like, you know, this is your, this is your deal, you know? So he, he pretty much let me do what I needed to do with the action. And then he, then when he would get in there and do some things, he would, you know, do it, try to do it, you know, the way I did it. Um, but in general movement and stuff, we didn't have, we didn't necessarily have a give and take. Cause like I said, you know, he's, he's the actor, but we did, we did discuss it. You know, we did discuss things and, and, and a little bit of how the movement, you know, we, we thought about it and what we, what I planned on doing in different scenes. And, uh, so, it, but you know, 
it's it's always the it's always considered the actor's character. This is a little un, more unique because you know I have a I have a mask. You know we have a, the character has a mask on, so um, they can get away with a lot more with the stunt the stunt man than than a normal film. You know because they you know a lot of directors today. Um, and it's been this way for quite a while. They want to see that actor's face doing the action. Right. So it's a little bit, you can cheat a little bit, you know, when you, when you have a, a character that's a superhero with a mask on or any character that has a mask on. So it's a, it's, it's a, you know, it's a nice opportunity, um, to be able to get more involved, um, you know, with the action and for the stunt coordinator, it's, it's, it's nice for them because, you know, they can, they can do a lot more with the stunt performer. Like, does the physical training come into that? I know that Zach has spoken before about how um, having actors, you know, go on to a, a fitness regimen, it changes the way they stand, you know, changes the way they they move and even just project, like you're talking about projecting royalty. It, does that help bring, I guess, now these days when you're asking an actor to make their body more like a stuntman's, <laughs> you know, or... Mm-hmm. Or take that that discipline and that that time into basically, in some cases, changing you know the, their body, yeah, for mm-hmm. the character. Does that does that make it? Is that like a, a kind of a middle ground you both can meet at? Um. Yeah. Yeah. And Ben worked really hard for the character too. Like he 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 worked. He had a personal trainer. He worked really hard. And he got in, he got in really great shape for it. Um, that's not something we would really discuss. And mostly because of the suit. Now, it, it, and you know, to be completely honest with you guys, I'm not a good double for Ben. <laughs> He's a much bigger man than I am. We're the same height exactly. So there we're good. But he's about – I'm guessing he's about 235, 235-ish. And I'm 200, 205, right around there. So he's a lot bigger guy. But in the suit, it doesn't matter as much. So the workout regimen between the two of us, that's not something we ever really talked about. I just and, – and actually the stunt coordinator didn't want me to – because I can bulk up and, and get a little heavier if I need to need be. But he wanted me to stay you know, right around my normal weight, if not even a little under, uh, so I can move move well in the suit. You know, The right. suit is really, really tough to move in. It's you – know, I've seen you – know, I've heard some things you know, or, or read some things on YouTube, some – comments because i read that stuff sometimes um and it's like yeah he just didn't you know the warehouse scene was great but i wish you know there's parts where he didn't really move he didn't really move really quick and and i agree because you know because i'm i'm very fast like i have really good hand speed but in that suit you (laughs) you just it's it's so tough you know because i because i'm trying to do the character justice Uh, you know i'm trying to move as fast as i possibly can and uh, to to not only match the guys that I'm fighting against that aren't in a suit, you know, but 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 move faster than they are, mm-hmm. you know, because that's the character. You know, I want, you know, that's important to me to portray Batman, you know, as the badass that he should be portrayed as, you know. Um, so that's just really it's it's really tough to do. So he wanted me to stay a little uh, leaner so I could move real quick in the suit. And I and, you know, my my history uh, my, my stunts history is I've, I've been in, in latex. That's a big latex rubber suit, basically. And that's what I've been in like many times in my career. I've done because I'm tall. 
I've done a lot of different creature stuff in movies and things like that. So I knew I, I've logged thousands of hours in those suits. So I knew exactly what I was getting into. So I, I knew that, you know, the stunt coordinator, Damon Carlo, he, he was right. You know, it's like if you're a little more on the leaner side, you can move a little quicker in those suits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I talked to um, I interviewed Damon a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, about the uh, the warehouse scene, he gave me the uh, the stunt biz of you guys rehearsing that. And one of the things that he talked about was kind of planning out the physicality of the Batman and how not only is this sort of a, a beefier Batman than we've seen before, but he's also kind of more grizzled and he's been on the job longer. He's got more injuries. He's he's older. And so I know that you're saying that the the suit slowed you down. That's not anything I've ever known. I mean, especially compared to the past versions. I mean, you've got more motion than I think we've seen from any batman costume in the in past iterations yeah thank you the uh one of the things that i i'm always curious about when i talk to anyone about um about uh, a scene or any their part in in zach's movies everyone talks about zach's vision and and how um i guess the way it's been described to me is that the movie is basically already in his head and he's just getting it expressed onto the film and so i'm always curious how he sort of pitches characters or moments or describes them beforehand and so especially with this nightmare especially with it kind of coming later on in production and it wasn't something that was rehearsed like when he came to you and said hey rich we need to do this this scene in the desert where you you were in a trench coat <laughs> like how did he how did um how did he describe that to you with with zach if i'm playing a, a particular character that's you know that's my character um, we'll discuss, we always have a meeting about it. Like I, uh, you know, his last film, the army, army of the dead, I played a character in that. And, you know, we always get together and we'll, we'll have a meeting together and we'll discuss everything. I'll go through like the whole script and, and make notes and, and discuss things with him. Um, same thing with Steppenwolf. I played that character and we did, we did the same thing, but with stuff like this, this is more Damon's realm. You know, Zach and Damon get together and uh, they they discuss the action. DJ will be in there with them because, you know, he's the visual mastermind, you know, and um, they'll discuss how it goes. And then Damon and I will will discuss it. And um, I remember Damon telling me about it. And and I just wished I had, you know, we had a little more time to um, to rehearse it like we did the other fights. Um, But it was it was something, though, that I that I was actually thrilled to do because um, I knew that we were going to incorporate the guns and not so much for the shooting aspect of the guns, but for incorporating the guns in, in strikes that really, that seemed like that could be a lot of fun to me. Cause I had, you know, I had guns in each hand and I can incorporate that into the fights and then, you know, go back to shooting, go back to striking because the guys are coming at you all directions, you know? So it really, it did appeal to me. I, I, I you know, cause then I knew, I knew also that this is a nightmare sequence, you know, so anything can go. You know, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, it was pretty cool actually when I found out about it. That reminds me, is it you who pulls the sidearm and fires from the hip kicking that crate or did Ben get to do that? That was Ben. Oh my gosh. Okay. Ben did that. I was going to say that was, that's like one of my, a badass, one of those badass gifts you could make of the movie that I would never expect to see <laughs> Batman, the gunslinger, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did really well. That was, yeah. was really good. So that brings us to the end of this minute, but we're going to talk to Richard about the infamous nightmare tracking shot 
that really kind of defines his his time in the in the bat suit coming up next and that takes up the entirety of the next minute so we're really excited yeah, to I think. <laughs> get into that almost the i think it's it, yeah 54 oh. seconds or something like that so yeah we we are like primed at the moment where this all kicks off and goes horribly wrong and true to this batman's form when the first bullet is fired he basically goes into full on attack mode yeah that's spoilers, but <laughs> thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us, Richard, and um, and we're really excited to to get into the rest of this. The next episode, the shot. Until then, did you get it? Yeah, we got it. And I'm Richard Citrone. I'm Batman. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought was coming, actually. <laughs> if you would prefer. I'd, I'd probably get a call from Ben and be like, hey, what's 